0: Hello and welcome to The Dentrepreneur Show. I am Dr. D. Todd Russell, a dentist and entrepreneur with over 30 years of experience. On this show, we're going to discuss, engage, and prepare you for taking your practice or business to its end game. How do you grow it? What metrics do you track? How do you know when is the right time and what things you need to have in place to create the best long-term value for your business and wealth for yourself? You need to polish your spirit, and prepare yourself no matter how far along you are in your career. Hello, and welcome back to The Dentrepreneur Show. This is Dr. D. Tom Russell. With me today is a very special guest, Aziza Abed. She is a uh, former practicing hygienist in the Cleveland uh, market space. But more recently, and I would say for uh, maybe even, Aziza, you can tell me, 10, 15, 20 years now, She's been involved in the DSO space as part of um, really de novo or brand new startups of DSOs. She's bought and sold practices. She's advised dentists along the way. Aziza, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Todd. It's my honor to be here with you. You're a legend of your own time, and it's just been an honor being a friend of yours, let alone being on your podcast today. So thank you for having me.
0: My pleasure. Aziza, tell us a little bit. I kind of gave a summary, but I know there's a lot more and I, I barely even scratched the surface, but let my audience know a little bit about start start all the way back, you know, from hygiene through today and what you've done, because it's pretty miraculous.
1: <laughs> so it kind of like makes me chuckle when I see the new women in DSO. I start thinking back, like I was 15 and I started in dentistry let alone in the DSO arena. So my first job, actually I was doing vocational school for dental assisting and my first courses and the first, I guess what they call it, externship was actually in a DSO in Michigan. It was Midwestern Dental and I was very very blessed to be a part of that organization. They ended up, you know, hiring me after my externship hours. And I love their focus because they had on the first floor, and it was a huge facility. um, The first floor was all healthcare. And on the second floor was all dental. And it had every type of specialty you can imagine everything from perio um, to prosto, oral surgery, hygiene, even had their own department as well. So to be able to be exposed to all of the different facets of dentistry was just a blessing for me. And although I started as an assistant, I quickly grew to working with the COO of the company mm-hmm. and his wife. They actually started a marketing department where they were offering dental insurance to the GM and Ford and Chrysler employees. So that so an in-house that-
0: program. There was like yeah. an in-house program. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And it gave me that exposure to the HR, the marketing, and so I grew up with them from 15 to 18 years old, and then I I got married and decided to focus on hygiene. Although I wanted to go to dental school, I knew that I wanted to start a family, and you know I knew dental school would be hard at that point. <laughs> so yeah. I uh, went to hygiene school. By 21, I was done with dental hygiene. Had two sons by that point and then I still wanted to go to dental school though so I was determined <laughs> somehow some way to get into dental school right but I still wanted to have more kids and I also helped my husband with our family with his mom and family so anyhow I at 29 I was done having my sons I have five boys and uh, I went Incredible. back to pre med <laughs> yes I did pre med worked actually three jobs and uh, worked my way to do my pre-med course of study, but while doing so I worked at a company now known as Dental One Partners mm-hmm. and uh, again I just feel very blessed to have that great leadership around me. And although I was working like two private offices and then working at Dental one to get more you know hours because I was doing evenings, weekends we were open on Sundays, <laughs> whatever yeah. it took you know to be able to work around my school schedule and the kids. And at that point, Doug Brown, the CEO of the company at the time, he offered me a position to do clinical training. And he said, if you don't like it, we'll help pay for your dental school, whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. you want to do. Well, I ended up loving it. So I did clinical management. I was in charge of 36 locations. I also helped open their de novos throughout South Carolina, North Carolina. And I ended up realizing that as a clinical management, I was able to affect more patients than as if I was in the chair seeing eight patients a day. So I figured if I was able to implement clinical guidelines and operational guidelines as a foundation in an organization, I was able to touch more patients throughout my time versus being in the chair, seeing limited amount of patients per day. And for me, that was important to me. So my passion to be a dentist was to help patients, but then let alone when I became clinical management, I was able to touch way more of the public than I would as a single physician.
0: Interesting concept there. I told you when we were talking before we started the show today that... You know, I have a list of questions and the first 10 segments or so interviews with you are kind of focused around one thing, that's valuations and exit planning at certain points of our career. But you just nailed something for me. And so this is a bit of a tangent and I'm known for my tangents. But You know, you talked, two things, you talked about systems, right? So important, right? At uh, my company, Empire Dental Arts, I call it the Empire way. But More importantly, I think, what you just said about your effectiveness as opposed to one-on-one with a patient and eight patients a day versus being present and affecting that many more people by being involved with your hygienists and your doctors directly, I call that boots on the ground. I would gather that when you were doing this, you were in each office on a rotating basis in with them daily running operations, making sure that the systems were followed. Yes, Right? Absolutely. Yeah. So as you know, my company, I have partners, and we've come to a bit of a crossroads because I'm a boots on the ground person. I believe that management must be present at all times. And I don't mean an office manager. You can train an office manager up to a certain point. But even they are at times, despite the fact the book is in front of them, of the playbook, they're afraid to make decisions. You empower them to make decisions, but they don't seem to do it. And I will always firmly believe that the lack of boots on the ground or the amount of boots on the ground is going to be directly success or directly equate to the success of the company. Absolutely. Absolutely. And proof That's- positive. You've been a part of two growth, right? Two one with dental, one partners, extreme growth. Right. And then you, you obviously left that and then you started Pure Health and you grew that and you, you sold that off. And here you are. You just told me you're starting another one.
1: Yeah. So, and through through after Dental One Partners, I was recruited at North American Dental Group. But I stayed at Dental One Partners for 14 and a half years. Yeah. But it got to a point where the doctors were on in my regions were on autopilot. I mean, producing $1,200 an hour hygienist mm-hmm. at 500, making six figures and more, you know, I mean for that for a hygienist to dream of making six figures at that point is amazing. And mm-hmm. to know that they're not doing anything unethical. They're treating the patients for what those patients need and the right. money comes. I mean, I'm a right. firm believer in doing the right things. So then the North American Yeah. So then North American Dental Group recruited me. I was at, I didn't want to leave Dental One Partners, but there was really no room for me to grow anymore. Our C-level mm-hmm. team was amazing, uh very great, supportive. My direct reports were amazing and, you know, young. So I, I was recruited by North American Dental Group at that point. They had 36 locations and I was able to help them grow to about 200 locations when I left. Wow. And with wow. that was like just again laying down a foundation of You know, your word systems, standard operating procedures, clinical guidelines, and nothing, nothing about productivity whatsoever. It was just about doing what the patients need and what's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And with that being said, you know, helped grow their EBITDA 33% year over year, really got to a nice place, and then started Pure Health Dental after that. And now, sold that to Great Expressions, and now starting all over. (laughs) But it's just about, I mean, you can talk to any of the doctors I've ever worked with in the past. They're the ones that come to me and ask about productivity. I just look at what they're doing. As long as they're practicing comprehensive care, and treating their team members is another big part. I feel like you can only grow your practice as much as you're growing the team around you. Yes. And how you treat the team.
0: Get off the ego train that just because you're the doctor doesn't make you the best person in the room. Right. It's a team approach. You have to be. I'm always humbled by the people that want to work with me. Yes. Um, uh, you know, that is such a, a strong lesson for a young dentist to learn. And you hear about the practices where the doctor is a tyrant.
1: Well, your reputation precedes you. So, anyone who's working with you that I've encountered, they love you.
0: So that's a that's a blessing. <laughs> Thank you. I'm I'm very blessed. You know, I will tell you, and I haven't touched on this on my show, and not that my that listeners need to listen to know about me, but I'll tell you uh, my story a little bit on what shaped me, and this touches on exactly this thing. So, I had the good fortune, in one way or another, to have two two mentor doctors. I called it heaven and hell. The one doctor was the best clinician, the most loving, caring doctor I've ever met. Every one of his patients, he treated like his children. He told them he loved them. He meant that he loved them. Of course, in this day and age, I don't know if you can say that, but it came from his heart. And I truly believe that he did. And his quality of work was second to none. Amazing. He treated his staff like shit. Front, we called it front desk du jour. Every six months, patient would come. There's was a new person working the front desk, and he'd tell them, "You get a nickel raise this year, and you're lucky I'm giving you that." Like, Jeez. and it was just amazing, right? So you had heaven and hell. Then I leave that practice for uh, you know a bunch of reasons, whatever, and I go to another one. And I come across this doctor who is absolutely amazing to his staff. They've all been there. They're well compensated. There's a bonus structure. They love him, right? He's fun. The days are easy. He treats his patients like crap. Like you know, you're lucky to be seeing me right? I'm that good. You'll do what I say. And so again, heaven and hell. And so when I went out onto my own, I said, you know what, there's, you can find this balance. You can treat people really well on both sides. And then it's a stress-free life. Dentistry is stressful enough, but it's a stress-free environment. So anyhow, echoing exactly what you just said. Wow. Well, the premise of this show, and thank you for that amazing introduction. Thank you for what you've done in dentistry. Thank you for what you've done as a, as a mom of five boys. I don't know if anybody else caught that on the show, but did you hear that? At 29, she had five boys. She's fielding a basketball team, folks, and yet she's growing companies. I don't know how you did it, but congratulations. Thank you. So this segment, uh, these the uh, most recent segments of my show deal with after being being in this uh, DSO space and growing one and being having sold to one and, you know, friends like you, what I see is the shortfall of our colleagues who are trying to transition out of their practices and either the equipment's gotten outdated, the staff culture has gotten outdated, they're expecting to get paid for what they used to do, or they've grown it too big and they don't have many choices, they don't know how to, they decide one day I'm going to, it's time for me to retire. And they have to be. There's just all sorts of factors. So, the big question I has, have for you, and I've had it as, as the theme, is if you were a dentist or even a small business owner, because really, um, physical therapy, podiatry, they all kind of fall into this clinical care concept and sort of piecemealing your your profits. When would you, as a young person, start thinking about? I should say young. It could be whenever. When would you, as a business owner, start thinking about your exit? I don't mean retirement. I mean, exit, you own the business. Now you're no longer owning the business. Maybe you're an associate, maybe you are retired. But when do you think you start to put those wheels in motion?
1: So I tend to always, I hope I'm the right person to answer this question, because I'm always a forward thinker. And for me, before I enter any, anything, any relationship, any job, I'm always thinking of where do I want this job to take me? So I'm very goal-orientated, and I really do a big vision planning, a uh, five-year vision. Right. And I think for anyone at any stage, there's always going to be that five-year vision. So yeah. whether you're a dental student coming out of dental school, you're going to have that vision plan, okay, where do I want to be? Meaning, what do I want to have under my scope of service? What type of services am I going to be offering my patients? What is going to make me happy? Whether it's going to be implant training, Botox training, what are the things that I need to learn and get a better understanding of to be able to better serve my patients? So I think at every different age level, you're going to have that vision and you need to be goal oriented So you should constantly be thinking about that. And once you've finished a couple of years of, of your five-year vision, you need to be thinking of the next five years. So as a dentist, um, I feel like once you feel like your practice is where you want it to be with the team members around you, with the amount of patients that you're seeing per day, the amount of new patients coming in, there's so much to think about, like adding an associate, expanding your hours, you know, expanding your, your location, or if you're completely content with where you're at, then you need to think about, okay, what, what Where do I want to be in five years? Do I want to be on a beach? Or do I want to still be working in the chair? Um, So I think everybody at any stage should always be forward thinking and planning their future. And the beauty about where dentistry is today, I was just at a um, seminar at the midwinter, and I was learning about artificial intelligence. I wanted to learn the science behind it. Um, not so much what the revenue can bring in and what it can do, you know, on a uh, operational level, but I really wanted to learn the science behind it. So I took a course in artificial intelligence, and I learned so much about where we have come in dentistry today, from, you know, fact finding to putting it all together in case presentation, you know, is amazing. And um, I, and with, with the Climate change of where you are—private practice or DSO or partnership model—wherever you are in the um, you know in your world of dentistry, you have to see the fact of DSOs are growing. There was a recent study that I learned about in uh, the valuation course I did take at the Midwinter was that about in 2000, I think they said 28 50 percent of the dental practices will be operating under a DSO. So I think that is very important information for our dentists today, our general dentists, and as as well as what has changed with, you know, team members with staffing, the price of hygienists these days, you know, the lack of hygienists these days, (laughs) Um, the amount of debt coming out of dental school, you know, so, I think there's just so many different factors affecting dentistry um, that you have no choice but to think of your future and where you want to be. Yeah. And I think that we're very, very blessed with all of the different educators we have around us. I mean, Todd, you yourself, you're doing a lot of consulting now, which I think is great. We did not have that back in the day. Right. I remember when I was working with Dental One Partners um, back in, you know, reveal too much of my age, but
0: you're 20, 29, You're 29. Remember you got five boys at 29. We stopped yeah, right yeah.
1: Yeah. for both okay. We searched uh high and low for a consulting company. I right. mean we were going all over the United States looking for the right consulting company to come in and help us grow with our comprehensive care program. But nowadays Wait.
0: let we me have... interject there too. When it comes to a consulting company, I want to drive this point home almost uh, self-serving. We're dental people. You need dental people. We don't need a business consultant at, uh, you know, McKinsey Partners or somebody like that. Yeah, great. You can show me how. But again, go back to our conversation about boots on the ground. You've got to be in the weeds in dentistry. It is a totally different animal, and that's where someone like yourself or someone like me who got, you know, I can check off the box of resident, associate, partner, owner, DSO, founder, I mean, I'm nailing them, right? Right. Um, You and I know valuations like the back of our hand. We know systems and processes like the back of our hand. Sometimes my, I'll tell you what my problem is, the system's still up here. (laughs) I haven't gotten it, you know, I haven't gotten it to the keyboard. Uh, I haven't gotten it to the video, right? I mean, there's so many of them. So often you skip over things, but nonetheless, driving home the point on, we are the ones, we are the consultants now. People should be listening to us because we can show them where the mistakes are. Um, and there's some mistakes we haven't uncovered, right? I mean, there's certainly, you're doing it again. I oh. <laughs> bet I bet with the, with your newest company, I know your sons are part of it. I bet you guys have discovered things already in the new startup that you're like, oh, we shouldn't have done that yet, right? <laughs> Am I right? Absolutely,
1: yes. Yeah. So yes, sorry,
0: yeah. I kind of, I, okay. I want to interject that because that's an important point at this point is, again, goes back to systems. And it goes back to, um, you know, being in on this. And if you're going to hire somebody to work with you, to help you with your exit, I'm sure you've got a great accountant. I'm sure you've got a great attorney. Maybe you've done a couple of CE classes or paid for some institute to show you how to run your office better. But what you need is somebody who's been there and done this, rolled it up and sold it. And we can help you much more than anybody else can. Or you can partner with us you're going to be looking for for doctors to partner with you. Bam, there's the window right there that someone needs to jump through. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. Actually, to that point, I'm finding a lot of doctors now, they want to stay on working. They just don't want to manage the business. Mm -hmm. And you can't blame them. I mean, they want to be able to go on vacation and be peaceful on their vacation. Right? They don't want to be thinking about the day-to-day and what they've left behind. Right. Um, So, yeah, absolutely. I mean... To your point, it is way more effective by getting someone in the dental environment, and especially one that has lived through what you're going to be going through. So right. transition right. is not easy, and uh, having the right support is important.
0: Great segue into my next question, Aziza. You've bought and obviously bought and sold practices and, and organizations several times. What are the few things you would change about this process? What comes to mind? And when I ask you that question, is there a gut reaction to what what would you change about this process?
1: So I think the transition piece is important. Um, I think that the doctors and team need to be valued more than what I've seen others do when they acquired locations. I think that is a key part. So I think partnering with the right company or right dentist or right partner, management partner is extremely important to know it's okay to get to that finish line of the cell. But what are the next 90 to 120, 365 days? What does that look like? And get more of a view of the after, you know, afterlife, (laughs) I would say.
0: I tell, and that's another fantastic point. I tell teams all the time to give me a year. Please let me, you know, please stay on. Everybody's afraid of this big bear of the DSO. Okay, stop. 20% of all practices are now, and like you said, by 2028, it's going to be 50%. We know it's on an exponential growth. The money is out there. These private equity people have a bunch of capital. They're looking to spend it. Of course, some of them spend it willy-nilly, but Thinking they know that they can change the animal that is dentistry, which we know they can't. But still, give us a year, and DSOs really have a lot of good things going for them. Oh, absolutely, right? we have better buying power. You can get better health insurance. One of the first things we do when we look at we look at the um, at the staffing model are are that are, is that staff being paid at our minimum or at the regional standard? A lot of times they're not. The first thing that happens is that many people who work for us get a raise. That should be incentive enough to stay on, right? Right. So, yeah, so definitely uh, being involved in the the valuation. You've worked with, again, segue into the next questions because, we again, I told you, we can go off on tangents. And I'm trying to stay on the the big questions here for my audience, at least through this. And you're going to be back on again, please. Will you come (laughs) back? Because already I've got a thousand other questions unrelated to what we're talking about today. But let's talk about private equity and and roll-ups and sales. How do you feel about about their involvement? How has it been with you and your companies as, you know, the private equity money being dumped into them?
1: Yeah. So again, I've been very blessed with many of the private equity groups that we have worked with in the past. Mm -hmm. They've been very supportive. I think it all depends too on as long as you're showing them what your results are, I don't see problems, you know, sometimes they want to interject here and there and send a couple consultants and management to help you. And that's fine, too. Um, but I think it's like basically showing them and being proactive about anything that you're seeing that's mm-hmm. going on and trends in your company is important. So if Mm -hmm. you know you're about to lose a doctor, you know that hygienist is going on maternity leave, and we have absolutely no one to replace them, it's better to be proactive and let them know, hey, this office is going to suffer a little bit. Here's what we're doing to mitigate the risk. But at the same time, this is what's going to happen.
0: Good answer. Let me see here. I'm just looking at my notes. Let's go on to valuations. So you're in the market now buying more practices. What are some of the key points that you look at to determine valuation? Of course, I know profit and loss obviously is going to be one thing, but there are other things, right? So what are some of the key points? You, I dropped you into an office in, I know you're in the, on the west side of Cleveland, so let's pick a suburb that you probably wouldn't be in tomorrow. Um, uh, let's call it um, uh, Twinsburg, Ohio. So south of Cleveland. You walk into an office in Twinsburg, Ohio. So this is a middle America town, right? Doc's been there for 25 years. What are you thinking about for evaluation of that practice?
1: So, the first thing I look at is revenues. So, the collections coming in, how clean is that collections? So, are they having a lot of bad debt or is it pretty, you know, clean? So, you look at collections, you look at uh, the demographics. For me, we don't tend to buy Medicaid offices, we're more focused on the fee for service PPO. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's important to us. We also look at staffing is important as well. So the longevity of the teams that are there is important because it shows us a lot about the character of the provider.
0: Um, Is longevity an issue? And and I don't want to sound in any way age discriminatory, but do you look at, okay, so great, the staff's been there for 20 or 25 years. Many of them are the same age of the selling doctor who wants to retire in a year or two. Is that a concern or is that something you take into consideration, losing them potentially?
1: No, it makes me actually feel better that they've been there. So that means that they've been loyal to the doctor for a reason. Um, Just like your team members, Pat, I'm pretty sure they would love to stay with you till you retire, you know. Um, because the way you treat them. And and so, that says a lot about what's going on in the office. It tells a story behind Mm -hmm. the story. (laughs) So, yeah, no, I'm not intimidated about anybody who wants to leave. That's fine, you know, as long as they give us a certain amount of time to work through the transition. So, I think that's important. I also look at the practice. So, yeah, their collections may be great. They may be PPO fee-for-service, but What does the practice look like? Am I gonna have to do a lot of renovation? Am I gonna have to come in and spend a lot of money doing that? Um,
0: things like that. that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I want that message to be a little clearer out there to doctors who are thinking about their exit now. Doc, you have to meet a certain standard as far as the equipment in your office. You're not gonna get a good valuation with 25 or 30-year-old equipment. Number one, number two. The doctors that we are going to put in or bring in to replace you are younger. They've been out of dental school or just out of dental school. All they know is technology. They've never been trained um, with the uh, with with the belt-driven handpieces. You have to maintain a level. You need to be digital. You need to be HIPAA compliant with electronic records. If you are not, and you expect. Aziza, myself, anybody else in space to buy your practice and give you the best number, you're not going to get it from us because it's going to cost us a quarter million dollars to upgrade your office. Yes. Right. Okay. So sorry. I just wanted to, I want to drive that point home.
1: No, absolutely. So, and then, yeah, I mean, those are really the gist of what we look at.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: The profit and loss, like you said, is there, but it's not really too big of a way or, you know, it doesn't, way too much on the price, because of the fact that we all know how, you know, we all know how that can look when you start yeah. shaving away some of the uh, addbacks there or adding
0: yeah. back. Adding back <laughs> um, adjustments. Yeah, yeah it's, all, yeah, it's yeah. all in there. We know how to, we know how to control those expense lines anyhow, and they're going to fall into ours. So we're modeling based on what we know. All, we, all I look at is, okay, what's the top line revenue? How good is the collections, right? <laughs> level of equipment, level of staffing. And then, how long, more importantly for me, what I've realized is how long the doctor is going to stay on. Our bad experiences have been where the sort of the band-aid's been ripped off and the retiring doctor's gone in a very short period of time. Those, I don't know about you, but those have been the practices that have been our worst performers or taken the longest time to get to the level we want them to be at. Okay. So, one question, two answers. Of your transitions, give me an example or a story about a really successful one. And then flip the coin and tell me. I have two,
1: I have good ones for
0: you. That's (laughs) why I'm asking the question. I knew you would. (laughs) All Um, right, go.
1: Yes. So, a really, really good story was I bought a practice in a vibrant area, very run down though. And you want to talk about belt driven hand pieces? Todd, I think I have a museum on one side of the building (laughs) Um, because we kept it. We kept the chair, we kept everything the way it was. Yeah. Because I wanted it to be like a historic part right, so that dentists right. dentist can
0: see. They charge $5 <laughs> to have a tour, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, so it's a we, new revenue stream. Oh, my God. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So
1: we bought this practice. We knew it had so much potential because there was so much unfinished treatment, so much patchwork going on. The dentist was great, though. Such a great character. Originally, he wanted to retire Um, But after he met me and the boys, he was like, um, no, I'd like to stay on and work with you guys. Because Mm -hmm. we talked a lot about what the post-transition is going to look like. And he wanted to be a part of that. So he's like, no, 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 I want to stay on. And we're like, okay, better for us, right? (laughs) So anyhow, that practice, let's just say, was doing around 500 in revenue. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we knew it had so much potential. Everything's being referred out. You know, we could bring in specialists, you know, and expand the hours. I mean, the hours were crazy. It was like every other week they were off on a Wednesday or a Thursday. Anyhow, long story short, (laughs) we bought that office. We actually built out a whole nother section to expand it because he probably was working out of 1,200 square feet, six operatories, if that even. There was another section to the building, 3,000 square feet. So, we built that out, made it brand, you know, everything new. Break room for the team, which was huh. something they had not been accustomed to. A mm-hmm. uh, Beautiful waiting area for the patients. Expanded the hours, kept that doctor on. He started making more money than he was making on his own. Mm-hmm. And his wife even thanked me. She even said, oh, my gosh, keep him working. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
2: so, so, uh,
1: so anyhow, it ended up being a really good uh, purchase and a very amazing transition. Um, we ended up moving to 1.2 million in a matter of, I don't know, 14 months, maybe. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. And that all starts with the discussion about transition early, right? Mm-hmm. With that doctor, that selling doctor. And then implementing, shockingly, systems.
1: Yeah. And he would have stayed if it wasn't for COVID. So he worked two years for us. Yeah. So, and he wanted to stay, but, you know, with COVID and his age, you know, and it was fine and it was just a great relationship, a great transition and, uh, you know, ended up being very
0: profitable. In, in talking about exits, to me, that is the one I always talk about 59 and a half, right? So you're 35 and 59 and a half, so roughly 25 years where you are kind of burning and churning and making money as a, as a, as a clinician and a business owner or entrepreneur, whatever it is. 59 and a half is that magical number on your 401k or your you know, IRA where you can start withdrawing funds, right? So my target is always 59 and a half. I want the luxury of being able to walk away. Now I'm working because, well, quite frankly, people ask me, when do you sleep? I'm like, well, I, trust me, I sleep. And I sleep really soundly because I've, I'm exhausted at the end of the day. I don't think I'll ever be able to turn that off. But it's having that, like this gentleman you discussed, he had the luxury to continue to work. And great, he was making more money. And then along came COVID. And that kind of, that kind of forced his hand in a different direction. But he could walk away at that point too. A wonderful feeling to get to that point in life where you could say, hmm, I don't need to work anymore, right? Yes. And yes. that's what we're trying, right? That's what we're trying to do with these exits too. Is it provide these doctors? Please, doctors, do not let the sale of your practice be the giant nest egg to help you fund your retirement. Please do something ahead of time. I can help you connect with with people who will help you build a portfolio. Your practice is only a part of it, but have the luxury to still work if you want to. Yes. Right. Yes. All right. Tell me. Flip the coin. Tell me about the one oh. that makes your head blow up.
1: Okay, so this one was pretty bad. So, <laughs> it was in a beautiful area, one of the richest suburbs in Ohio. And so <laughs> the lady selling the doctor lady selling the practice. I don't know what it was, but I was like totally bought into her and I really wanted the practice. It was aesthetically beautiful, okay? Mm-hmm. So this is where you can't always go by looks, right? <laughs> and the practice was doing pretty decent. I mean, it was like 600000 in revenue, let's say. Oh, you know, everything looked good from the outside, you know, and now we take over, but we cannot have this particular doctor work due to liability reasons. So I was like, it's okay. We'll just, you know, we'll be able to maintain these patients. We'll be able to build it back up. Well, we were not able to. Apparently, because the transaction took so long, it took probably about nine months. Let's just say nine months to complete. We didn't have a a pulse on the business in that time frame. And what happened was a lot of the patients left. They were upset with the services they were getting. And I you
0: know should- the selling doctor was there.
1: Even though the selling is so apparently the selling doctor had a different doctor in the practice with the numbers she showed me before that. So it wasn't.
2: Oh, Oh. yeah. Yeah.
1: So and it was under like, you know what I'm saying? Like probably still her name, you know, with the the Mm -hmm. production reports. Yeah, yeah. I I think I didn't do enough due diligence towards the end. Like I did Mm -hmm. the preliminary due diligence, then let it go because it took so long. Yeah. I never really went back and reviewed the numbers and mm-hmm. fact-finding and all that good stuff. And basically, let's just say I paid 300000 for the practice and lost about $600,000. let us yeah. just put it that way. So yeah. that was my... I took total responsibility for that one. And it was a huge lesson learned at the beginning of my journey. But I'll tell you what I'll never do that again.
0: No, absolutely.
1: <laughs> you learned from it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, and that's go back to the key where I said doctors in our organization you have to stay on for a period of time. That transition is so important. Setting up for that selling doctor who's not going to become the associate to understand what's going to happen. You know, the changes are going to be made. Here's the changes we traditionally make. Nothing's egregious. But I need you to stay on that. That staying on and that integrity. Quite frankly, on that side, you know, it sounds like there was a lack of integrity on the part of the selling doctor to you. Which is a shame, but it can hurt you. And as the selling doctor, you want your patients cared for, right? When you're gone, you want them cared for well. You want to believe in, in who is there. And if that's our job, is to provide that. You have to trust us to do that. And you can help us get there too by supporting what we're doing. So if yeah. you don't believe in the vision, you don't believe in the culture, then don't sell to us, right. sell to somebody else, right? Anyway, that's a, a big part of it. Well, um, one- One thing I
1: wanted to add to that, um, Todd, is sometimes the doctors, I've encountered this a couple of times where the doctor cannot physically stay on to work Uh, on patients. But what I yeah, but what I think should happen in that instance is that they stay on as an ambassador to the practice and at least show up, introduce the new doctor to the patients, um, and craft a letter explaining to the patients that they chose this dentist to mm-hmm. replace them, right? I think is very critical to the business yep. versus just getting your money and leaving, doing right. that type of quick exit. It's not healthy for anyone, you know, your patients, right. especially.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Uh, Aziza, this has been fantastic. So many more questions rolling through my head. I always have a list to ask and I don't even touch on them as I told you what
1: happened. <laughs> um,
0: I try not to keep my podcast too long because I want people to stay engaged for a period of time. Um, I personally have a mind of a flea, so 30 minutes is enough for me. So we're at or a little beyond that. So one final question, more of a fun question before we wrap it up. Books, poems, persons, movies, stories. Who's influenced Aziza? Who continues to influence you? I'll give you my example. Everyone on my show knows. Um, the doc I first started working for, Dr. Kalina, I got rest his soul. He had the poster of Vince Lombardi's speech, What It Takes to Be Number One. That's mm-hmm. one of them. I used to have it as a screen on my screensaver. I love it so much. So that's one, that's my simple example. There are others. The book, One Minute Manager, Who Move My Cheese, almost cartoon books, but those are the where I base my management skills on. Um, so how about you? What's influenced you?
1: So for me, a couple of books. One is uh, James Hunt, Servant Leadership, and then mm-hmm. the series with that and the training behind that. I felt was very engaging to our environment at Dental One, it was actually Keith Miller who introduced that to us, which Keith Miller would be a great podcast representative as well. And then Stephen Covey's habits, Mm -hmm. you know, I really believe in that. But what I liked was we had hired practice Synergistics. I don't think they no longer do consulting. But mm-hmm. what they did was, and it was like you said, dental people doing the consulting, which kind of resonated with us a, a right. lot more than
2: mm-hmm.
1: an outside consultant would. And what they did was they took the um, habits and programmed them into dental, basically. So right. transfer them. I into that. Out- yeah. yeah. And I love that. I thought yeah. it was like the best thing because I had read the book. it didn't resonate with me like it did when they transformed it into a dental to a dental you know steps um so i love that so those are you know i I say with anything that you learn from if you can translate it into the language that your team will understand better that's how to get it done
0: yeah (laughs) wow oh fantastic well thank you so much for being on today um so much information there and quite honestly. What you've told me, what other guests have told me, you know we're starting to we're starting to show that really it's it's not that difficult. It's the same the same things. You just have to really focus on them, and we're hearing the same messages over and over again. But yet many of our colleagues don't hear those. And so I'm hoping that with Dentrepreneur in this podcast, we can get that out. Aziza, it is great to call you a friend. I really appreciate you being on my show. Let everybody know how they could reach you if they're interested in talking more about anything we talked about or just getting to know you. How can people get a hold of you?
1: Yes, absolutely. My best way is probably my email, aziza.abed, the number five, hence the five boys, at gmail.com. So aziza.abed5 at gmail.com. Also through LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. So those are the two best ways.
0: Right, And if anything, you can reach out to me through the Dentrepreneur website or through um, my contact information. dds at gmail.com is probably also the best. Um, So again, thank you for coming on and being on the Dentrepreneur Show. I really appreciate your time. And uh, you will be back as another guest. I hope hope you'll be back if you'll accept the invite. Absolutely.
1: It's my honor. Thank you.
0: Oh, my God. Just being in
1: your presence, Todd. Oh, stop. Thank you. All right.
0: Thank (laughs) you. Thank you for joining us. Please follow or subscribe to this show on Spotify, Apple, or YouTube. If you would like further information or to meet with me one-on-one and discuss your practice, please feel free to contact me through my website, dentrepreneurllc.com. Many more exciting guests and topics are headed your way.